You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome to Voice Junkie. The only thing that's real is me and the fact that day in and day out for almost six years I have proved to everybody in the world that I am the best on this microphone, in that ring, even at commentary. Nobody can touch me. Who's the best wrestler in the world? Is it Kenny Omega? Is it John Moxley? Is it Brian Danielson? I'm just curious. Tell me, Dave. Who's the Is it your boy Kenny? Is it John? Yeah, laugh all you want, dipshit. I'm the fucking man now! Me! I'm the best wrestler in the world! There is no more complete wrestler in this planet. Nobody's got my body. Nobody's got my mind. Nobody's got my brain. Inside that ring, on the microphone, hell. Even in a goddamn press conference, nobody can fucking touch me in this business. I don't need a whole group backing me. I don't need someone in my ear advising me what to say, how to walk, how to talk. There is nobody. And I mean no, 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 nobody on my level. And you're going to hear it over and over again because ain't nobody dethroning the devil. Goddamn, I got a horn growing out now. Shit's getting real, isn't it? But I feel good. My back ain't against the wall no more. I got nothing to panic about. I'm having fun now. Tony, you ready to have some fun, answer some questions? Yeah. Good shit. A lot to uh, unpack here. I wanted to start off this segment by giving you to two clips. Just to show you what, you know, level MJF is on when it comes to everything about him. Like, the one thing that I love about MJF and how good he is when it comes to being a throwback in this business is that he understands the art of storytelling. It's not just about the flips and kicks and trying to get uh, the largest pop and reaction off of the flip and kick. You know, it's not about that. When you when you get a lasting impression or a lasting reaction, you, you those things are timeless, man. When you think about it, we don't think about our favorite matches as much. We think about our favorite moments. A lot of times, those moments consist of promos. Like, it's just it. You know, when we share clips on Instagram or wherever you guys like to share clips on, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok, the clips include... You know, promos and, you know, people giving some form of freedom of expression through their words. You know what I'm saying? Like, and MJF is really good at this stuff. He, everything he does has a purpose. He's from, he's so throwback. He, everything he does has a purpose. You really have to listen and pay attention to him. He's one of the few uh, acts in the business that you really have to pay attention to. He's like Lex Luthor. Like, everything has a a meaning to it. When I listened to that, obviously, I heard some CM Punk-isms in his uh, rant-slash-promo during the press conference. I'm the best in the world. I'm the best on this mic. Best in the ring. And he flipped it up a little bit by saying he's the best on press conferences versus commentary. So, he's definitely playing up the CM Punk stuff again. Now, I'll get to CM Punk in, in, in a few, but... What also he did that was pretty uh, cunning on his part was he managed to shit on Roman Reigns in the same promo. (laughs) He he talked about, I don't need people around me talking about the bloodline. I don't need a person whispering in my ear telling me how to walk, talk, all this stuff. He's talking about Paul Heyman. 
Man, MJF, yo, he's the person that should have gotten the belt. Without MJF, I'll tell you what, AEW would be in a tough spot, I think. Because right now, they're going through a period in time, a rough patch, ever since the brawl out situation and all out. When CM Punk and, you know, the elite got at it or whatever, it happened in the locker room and a lot of firings and lawsuits and a lot of innuendo came from that incident. And it's been several months now and I've watched AEW's programming weekly since and there's some bright spots for sure. I still watch, watch the product. I like AEW. I still prefer aw over wwe today but i i I am going to be honest man you know wwe is making tiny gains small gains, but small gains should never be minimized because a gain is a gain and i think wwe has been making short traction um as far as getting the attention from aw and aw is in a rough patch right now because from what i see i see a situation where you had CM Punk, your biggest draw, clearly your biggest draw, um, get into it with some of your um, executives, with Kenny Omega, the Young Bucks, and and Jericho, really. So Jericho took the side of the elite because Jericho, let's be real, he's really a, an unofficial elite member. He joined the company exactly when the elite joined the company. He was actually the biggest uh, free agent signing to start AEW. So he's always going to have his you know, back or his best interest is always going to be uh, attached to the elite. Let's just keep it real. As much as I love Jericho, his allegiance is with the elite. Let's just be real. And whoever the elite surround themselves with. And I think that's what happened after All Out. I, I Now that I kind of just can reflect and after Revolution and see where the company is, I think really the issue is Tony Khan just doesn't have the backbone uh, to really, really get things in order now he's not the most vocalist person he doesn't show a lot of stuff he could be doing a lot of uh stuff behind the scenes where he's flexing his muscle a little bit more but i would love to see tony flex his muscle on screen a little bit more he, he seems like a pushover he seems like a mark he seems like all the things mjf said about him before mjf was quote-unquote suspended in that live promo so i i do um worry that he doesn't have a grip on things as of right now But I do think he has been paying attention. I do think he knows at this point that the elite's uh, grip that that they may have had over him as far as their audience and who they brought in, I think he's no longer afraid of that. I think Tony Khan can see a, a, a future without the elite. Because let's be real, man. The elite has had their way these last several months. You got rid of CM Punk. You uh you changed the whole narrative and everything and pretty much got to run things the way you wanted to run things. Everybody was happy again, slapping high fives. It was like one big indie family all over again. But the problem is indie and mainstream don't go hand in hand at some point the elite has to realize that what you did in the indie circuit what you did in new japan is not going to fly when it comes to grabbing attention from wwe it's not because you know why wwe is a lot more than flips and kicks they're about stories and when they get their shit together they're about stories and they've been kicking aw's ass because of one thing, not because of their match rates and all of that. They've been kicking their ass in the storytelling. The storytelling has really shown from WWE. And primarily because of the, the bloodline stuff with Roman and Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens. But it's a hell of a storyline. 
Think of AEW. What real storylines have they told? If you take a- MJF out of the equation, like he just disappeared for a year, what what real storytelling aspects could you really remember in the past year, you know, except for Punk, you know, because Punk was tied to MJF as well. I don't know, man. I just, Revolution just kind of made me think a lot about the future of AEW. I think going forward, they have to bring in CM Punk. They have to. I think the numbers have shown, you, you know, viewership have gone down a little bit. Um, they're really at a stagnant place. They're not really kicking it up the extra notch that they wanted to, like sustaining over a million viewers. They haven't been able to do that. And I think a lot of that is because there is a rift in their audience. When they took the side of the elite, seemingly to the public, when they took the side of the elite, it I think it had um, turned some of the fans off who was on the punk side of things. So I think you have to bring punk back. He's a big draw. You still have him technically under contract. I mean, as far as we know, and I think you just have to figure that out he's your your top draw (laughs) you can say a lot of things about vince but vince is going to do vince vince cares about the draw he he could care less about personal feelings uh he could care less about that stuff he cares about the bottom line and vince would have made it work so i think tony has to put on his big boy pants and bring back cm punk instantly insert him into this mjf thing because mjf is leaving the breadcrumbs you heard it to start this segment He's leaving breadcrumbs. Can you imagine a month or two from now, CM Punk comes back and said, I heard you. I heard you were saying, but you know what, Max? You're still not the best in the world. I am the best in the world. And I'm coming back to take what's rightfully mine, what I never lost. And that's the AEW World Championship. So the Nuggets are in place. They're in place. It's just all up to Tony Khan because he's the boss. Kenny Omega is not the boss. The Young Bucks aren't the boss. It's Tony Khan. And if he wants to save his business or give it at least a jolt of energy that it needs to head through the spring into the summer, he has to bring CM Punk back. It's, it's a no-brainer. Pretty good show. Revolution was good. I didn't want to get into a whole review of that. You can you can go YouTube and do that. But I just wanted to give my opinion on what could happen down the road and what I think has happened since uh, the last several months with the whole CM Punk incident and, and up until Revolution. Um, Revolution was a good show. And now we just got to see what happens after this. You know, like it, it's stagnant right now. Without MJF, things are a little less desirable. As for the WWE, they're kicking ass. I, I have to admit, man, Raw was a decent show. Raw actually did a good job of leading or making you at least a little more interested in what's to come for WrestleMania. You know, you had the Cody Rhodes thing, you had the Cena thing coming on and uh, finally face to face with Austin Theory, one of his stands and people that looked up to him. And so that's the backstory to that. Other than that, I mean, you, you had some good stuff. I mean, again, it's the bloodline storyline. It just keeps getting better. And as soon as you say to yourself, like, man, they should, they should, they got to wrap this thing up at some point. And then they just throw another wrinkle in. And then you're just like, man, this stuff just, it just keeps getting better. And you know, with Jey Uso coming back, at first looking like he was joining Sammy, and then turning on Sammy in the last second and joining back up with the bloodline and his brother. But you could see the conflict in his face. He knew if he didn't come back to Jimmy, there was going to be grave consequences for Jimmy uh, from Roman. Because Roman was going to blame Jimmy for everything had he not got Jay back into the nest. And you can see the conflict in Jay's face when when um he looked 
and his brother was sharing a moment when they were looking at each other, especially after Jimmy lost the match. So the storytelling is great, man. This is what us wrestling fans want. I mean, at least, you know, fans like me who's close to 40. You know, I'm used to the storytelling aspect of it. I mean, what is wrestling really? It's a soap opera. It's a soap opera with, with you know, muscle men and, and women. We love the storytelling aspect of it just as much as we love the athletic aspects of it. I think AEW needs to learn that lesson. I think they're trying to, but right now they're just not there quite yet. And they have to figure out themselves because in the end, man, you're a big company now. You're not an indie company anymore. You have to make big boy decisions and you have to make decisions that's right for the bottom line at some point. And hopefully... That happens on the AEW side because I tell you what, WWE is not going to stop doing what they're doing. They're going to keep going ahead and they're going to keep doing what they need to do as far as trying to poach talent. You know, there's so many different things that that, that could come from after this. And AEW is in a really uh, delicate time right now, especially during WrestleMania season. The best way to shake all that up and, and take away some attention and headlines away from WWE during this season is to bring back CM Punk. You know, there's many different ways you can support the Trendaholic or the Voice Junkie podcast. One of those ways is doing something you normally do in your personal life. Like, I don't know, stream movies. So in that light, you can accept with graciousness the gift of seven days free from Apple TV Plus on your boy. Yes, me, Chuck, from the Voice Junkie podcast is giving away a free week of apple tv plus i mean it's a free trial if you want to support the podcast hit the link below in the description box it'll bring you right to the page so you can get that free week apple tv plus enough is enough i'm tired of the kellen moore narrative it's just too much slurpy going on for kellen in the football media they love this guy it seems like everyone believes he's great they're almost at the point where they want to pretty much call him sean payton jr I mean, they damn near are kind of putting him on the same level as Sean McVay at this point. They keep talking about his offensive stats and what he has done in the past uh, few years that he's been the OC for Dallas. But let's just uh, kind of add some clarity. Let's add some perspective to this whole Kellen Moore situation and how overrated his offensive stats and rankings are. Since 2007, the Cowboys have had eight top 10 offenses and points. Six are top five finishes. I did a little breakdown. I went back in the Cowboys, you know, history as far as offensive teams, as far as points and yards, the rankings when it comes to points and yards. I also looked at those teams and seeing how they did on the other side of the ball as well, as far as points allowed and yards against. So what I came away with was some interesting things that I want to bring to you guys, but I want to do it in a concise way, so bear with me. As I said before, 2007. Now, why did I use 2007? I used 2007, the year 2007, because it was an important year. It was a year that um, we still had Wade Phillips as head coach, if you can remember. But also, it was the first real season that we got to see Jason Garrett calling the plays. This is 2007, remember? We were 13-3, and riding high. We had the highest, uh, we had the best record in the NFC. We had uh, playoffs going through Dallas. Everything was smoking hot. But as history shows, we lost in the divisional round to what would later become the world champion, uh, New York Football Giants. So, you know, no shame in that because that team was historically great, especially that front four. 
And we've seen what they did to Brady in that Super Bowl. So no shame in that loss. But Jason Garrett started off great. You know, they started coining him boy genius, boy, you know, wonder, the whole thing, the whole yard. Similar to what you hear with Kellen Moore. But we'll get to that later. As this success in the media started to get behind Jason Garrett the same way as they doing with Kellen Moore, giving Jason Garrett the, uh, the Garrett Slurpee, it later pushed Wade Phillips out the door. So 2010, Wade Phillips, you know, he coached uh, you know, a little bit that year. I think Romo went down. That was one of the first years he went down. And, uh, you know, Jason Garrett took, uh, you know, took over halfway through. So Garrett's running the show and we kind of finished 500 for the year. And, you know, it, it was showing some promise. I mean, even though we had John Kitna throwing the ball most that year or half of that year, uh, you know, we still finished seventh in points and seventh in yards as far as the offense is concerned. You know, so this is Jason Garrett still running the show. Now, let's fast forward to 2013. Now Garrett's fully in control. This is his final year of eight and eight. So he had, we had, after that year I just gave y'all, we went three consecutive years at eight and eight. It was a miserable time for me, trust me. (laughs) But as that happened, you know, Jason Garrett, 2013, that was the final eight and eight year. He and Romo and company, they were fifth in points and 16th in yards. So it wasn't great as far as yards is concerned, but they still were top 10, top five. So, you know, now you have I have to put this in in perspective as well. You know, Jason Garrett. Yes, he is kind of the offensive mind behind everything. But during this tenure, he had Scott Linehan running the show as far as on the offensive side. But Scott Linehan and Jason Garrett and Kellen Moore, they're all the same. They're under, under the same tree. We'll get to that in a second. You know, 2014 rolls along. We lose in a divisional round again. Uh, you know, we go f- fifth in points, uh, seventh in yards. I mean, it was great. I mean, that was the Dez. He caught it uh, game out in Lambeau. And we all know how that went. Mike McCarthy did the smartest challenge he ever did in his entire coaching career to this day. And, you know, it got it overturned. And the history is the history. So that was 2014. That was Dez's last great year, really. And that was Tony Romo's really last great year. Uh, but that team was fifth in points and seventh in yards. So, you know, Garrett consistently kept our team's top 10, top five when he was the OC slash Scott Linehan as well. So this is we've seen this as Cowboy fans. The point is that at the end of all of this, the point is me telling you guys as a Cowboys fan, a lifelong Cowboys fan, I've seen this. We've seen it. But the media sensationalizes things because they have their own narratives and they have their own uh, beliefs. You know, some of those guys probably know Kellen Moore personally and they love the guy. But, you know, don't let that cloud your judgment and cloud your analysis. All right. Back to the uh, statistics. So 2016 rolls along. Dak Prescott becomes the quarterback because Tony Romo goes down again. And we're off to the races. You know, we go five in, in, in points, five in yards. Uh, we uh, Same consistency, whether Romo was in or whether Dak was in. 2019 rolls along. Jason Garrett is removed as head coach. Scott Linehan is out, ousted as well. And 
who is the new OC? It is Kellen Moore. So Kellen Moore comes in. He's 2019. Uh, Mike McCarthy's first year. And instead of giving the ball to uh, Mike McCarthy, which I said in a previous podcast um, when I questioned the hire of Mike McCarthy because I didn't see too much of a difference from Jason Garrett. At the time, I said that they're really not indistinguishable as far as coaching styles and how they motivate and everything, X's and O's as well. But the only difference was Mike was just a little more accomplished because he did have a championship. I wanted Mike to take over play calling duties because most of us don't really have respect for Mike McCarthy, but he did cut his teeth on an offensive side. He did coach all of these great quarterbacks and he did win a championship. How he did it, we don't know because Aaron hasn't been back since, but damn it, they did it. Jason Garrett didn't. All right. So, that was the only thing Mike had going, but I, I I was totally against keeping Kellen Moore or upgrading Kellen Moore to OC because I was like, why even hire Mike McCarthy if you're not going to, you know, let Mike do what he does? So anyway, as I digress, 2019, he takes over. We, you know, we go uh, six in points and we go first in yards. So we're putting the ball up. We're moving it around. I think this is Amari Cooper's first year. You know, we go eight and eight because, you know, Amari just arrived. You know, we didn't fully take off. So in the following year, 2020, that goes down. You know, he snaps his leg in half. And then we proceed to go 17th in points. And 14th in yards. Hmm. Now, (laughs) I do know this. If you're supposed to be a a, a magnanimous offensive coordinator, you could plug and play and with anybody. Because we've seen Sean Payton do this when Drew Brees has missed plenty of time. And he'll plug in a Taysom Hill or plug in a, a Teddy Bridgewater or whoever he has to plug in for the time being. And he gets the job done. That is a real offensive mind. Kellen Moore only was able to get us middle of the pack. 17th in points. 14th in yards. Now, this is without Dak. Next year, we kill it, crush it. We finish the year first in points, first in yards. We're putting up all type of points, and we go 12 and 5, and we get eliminated by the San Francisco 49ers. Following year, 2022, this past season, as you know, we go fourth in points overall, and we go 11th in yards. So, not top 10 in yards, but you see the correlation. Points, points, points. As critical as I am of Mike McCarthy, you're going to be surprised by this. I'm actually going to kind of defend him a little bit and his quote that he's getting killed for all week. And, you know, first of all, Mike McCarthy is not at all a motivator. He's not really great communicator at all. I mean, we noticed and seen that a hard knocks. He's just awful. But I think what he was trying to say was like, hey, we're putting up all these points, all these great stats. And then I just listed off some years that we did this, right? I didn't get to the defensive side of the ball. I'll get to that in a second. But I just listed off all these great offensive stats. And he's seeing this. He knows. And he's like, yeah, this is a little deceiving. Yeah, we're putting up top five, top 10 uh, offensive statistics, but we're not winning anything. He also hinted toward leaning more on the defensive side of the ball and running the ball a little more to control clock and lean on the defense. And everybody berated him. What are you talking about? You're putting up all these great points. The defense is already great. Uh, 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 uh. It's not great yet. So let me get to the defensive side of the ball. Now, this is what I wanted to make a point in. So we all know the golden years of the Cowboys were the 90s when we had great success. So 1992, 93, 94, 95 were the golden years, essentially. Now, in those years, let me read these numbers to give you some real perspective. 
So 92, the Cowboys go far as offensive rankings, second in points, fourth in yards. But the defense went fifth in points, first in yards. You see the correlation? Both sides of the ball are top five, right? Now we go to 93. So this is a championship year. 92 is championship year. Then we follow it up 93 with another championship year. Let's read these stats. Second in points, fourth in yards. They just duplicated the the thing they had the previous year when they won the first Super Bowl. Same thing, top five. And then on the defensive side of the ball, second in points. So they got even better at not giving up as much points. So the defense got a little better at giving up less points. However, they got a little worse. They they had them 10th in yards. So that's kind of like Ben don't break. So the following year, 94, was the off year. They, that's the year they lost in the conference finals at San Francisco at Candlestick. I remember watching that game and being miserable going into, back to elementary school uh, when Steve Young finally broke through and got to the Super Bowl past the Cowboys. Uh, Emmitt Smith, I believe, was hurt in that game. So, you know, you didn't really have a running game. Even that year, we lost. We were second. Second in points again, eighth in yards, but the defense was even better. It was third in points and first in yards against. These are just great numbers. Now, let me go to 95, the final really good year in that golden era. Third in points, fifth in yards. And then the defense went third in points and, yard, and ninth in yards against. What I'm, The point I'm uh, making here is that Mike is seeing that. Those are the golden years. When we were winning championships and going to conference finals, the defense and the offense were top five. Now, the media is running around like this is what we've had in the last few years. No, it's incredibly deceiving. Incredibly deceiving. So let me give you a, 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 a totally perfect example here, right? So Kellen Moore, OC'd for four years, but 2019, six in points, first in yards. And the defense was 11th in points, ninth in yards. You know, good, but not great. The following year, Dak gets hurt. All the numbers were terrible. You had 17th in points, 14th in yards. I already told you that, but the defense was 28th and giving up points. You know, bottom of the pack in 2013 yards. So it's just a horrible defense. And then the following year, that's when we had the top rated offense, but the defense got a little better, seventh against points, but we were giving up a ton of yards still. It was 19th in the league, giving up points that year. That's not going to win championships. I don't care how good your offense is. You're not going to win championship being 19th in the league at giving up yards, you know? So, and then last year, four from points. 11th in yards and for the offense. And then in defense, 5th in points. Good, really good. But yards, 12th. So in your brain, put those four years together against the four years that we won the championship. What is the correlation there? The defense is still not on the level of the offense. So for all the slurping going on for Kellen Moore and talking about how great his quote unquote, how great his offense is and how quote unquote great the defense is today. It's just, it's totally deceiving given the ranks that I just gave you. They're not great. They're not, they're on their way to being great, but they need a little bit more to match the offensive firepower because they're not leveled. They're not balanced. When we won championships, when we went to conference finals, we had a balanced offense and we had a balanced defense. I just read the numbers. Until we reach that paralleled universe, we're not going to get to conference finals, let alone Super Bowls. You know, I know everybody loves to pick on Mike McCarthy. Trust me, I I don't mind picking on him either when it's, when it's uh, warranted. But in this situation, he did have 
merit to what he was saying. Yeah, we got to lean on our defense. We got to make the defense better because the offense is always going to be top five, top 10. I just gave you 15 years of Cowboy stats. Top five, top 10. Eight top 10 offenses and points since 07. Six of those top eight years, we finished in top five. Like, it don't matter. Doesn't produce anything. Yeah, it might put asses in seats, but it don't put chips in showcases. That's my stance on Kellamore. Supremely overrated. You know, San Diego slash LA Charger fans are going to definitely see what the hell I'm talking about. You're going to put up a ton of points, but you ain't going to win shit.